Welcome to The Treatment with Dr. Rahi. I'm Dr. Rahila Sarbazia, your host. This is your resource for all things health, wellness, and beauty. Hi, it's Dr. Rahi. I'm here with Dr. Raj Aquila. He is a master injector. He is based out of the UK, but teaches internationally with Allergan. He's here today to answer some really important questions about medical aesthetics. So I'm very excited to have you. Thanks for coming. It's my pleasure. And you have a very busy schedule. So I wanted to ask you a few questions about aesthetics because you're the master. Okay. <laughs> so let's get started. So what, when you think of medical aesthetics, how, do you, how would you define that term? You know, we got to look at the whole space right now and look at where we came from, where we're going to. This subspeciality is exploding and it's growing at a rate of around 20% per annum. And if you look at the numbers based on the new world, you know, the value of this industry is in excess of $10 billion of growth per year in the US and for other developing countries too. So we've got two elements to this. There's a consumer demand. They want to be beautified. They want to look fresh. They want to look better. But also we have a lot of people who are jumping on the bandwagon because it's convenient in terms of their professional development. So I think really it's about separating the true artists from the people who are doing it as a business. Right. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. Since you've had, you have over 20 years of experience in this field, which is quite impressive, what initially brought you to medical aesthetics? You know, it's kind of funny when I was thinking back to how I first started, I was just doing facial skin cancer excisions and then I was revising scars that were maybe suboptimal. But then when those scars weren't perfect, we were using things like, you know, primitive fillers and botulinum toxins and collagen and stuff like that to make their skin better. Now, middle-aged women, they love that. And then they wanted more. And so it just developed from there. There was no industry. There was no speciality. We kind of made it up as we went along. And thank God that I don't inject like I did then. <laughs> But we refined our art. We became masters of our trade. And we started to perfect what we're doing. And we start to make masterpieces wow. in facial portraits. And so now we're in a completely different level. Right. Yeah. I feel like aesthetics has changed so much even from maybe 10 years ago, right? Absolutely. You know, the re main reason for that, uh, Rahi, is that I think that the product availability is different. Because if you look at biotechnology and how, for example, science has evolved and R&D and how... You know, we're able to manipulate products and materials in our hands. As artists, we have different paints, we have different paint brushes, and the way that we apply that to the face is able to achieve a more beautiful end product. And I think that's why the patients now, they become more discerning, they're more sophisticated, and right. they expect more from us. They deserve that, right? Right. And that's true too. And then there's also that kind of group of patients that are still scared of medical aesthetics just because of how it used to be, you know, and now that it's so much more refined and you're able to create so much more natural looks, I've noticed that That's true. people are coming to it more and more, but there's still that group that yeah. don't understand that you can look more natural now than ever before. I agree. You know, one of the main problems with this is that, you know, this year in 2019, I did 22 cities in America. Wow. One, yeah, well, That's impressive. Well, I'm still, I'm not it's even a lot finished. Of I'm not even finished yet. So one of the main issues is that with the FDA and their delayed, you know, approval and licensing scheme, right. you know, the products are not available in America 
the same time as they are in the rest of the world. And that means that the, the consumer doesn't have the same variance of uh, tools for the practitioners to be injecting them to right. make the best results. What that means is that maybe in America, the consumer is receiving results which are three to five years behind the time. So that means, you know... Behind the time of what, like, what countries would you say are the most advanced right now in aesthetics? I think if you look at it, it's like Middle East, Asia, they're, really, Asia, they're right. flying. But what I'm saying is it's about if the materials are more remedial and there's you know more thickness and rigidity in the lips, if the cheek mobilizes as a ball, it doesn't move naturally, mm-hmm. then the patients are not getting the best possible outcomes. Right. So I think really if you look on a broader scale globally, it's to do with the availability of materials right. and also the quality of the medical education of the practitioners that makes the best possible outcomes. And you teach specifically for Allergan, and I think they provide some of the best education for practitioners. I mean, uh, yes, I do. That's my disclaimer that I work with Allergan. However, if another company was to come along and they were to bring in a new line of fillers because they have more advanced biotechnology, then for sure I'll use that because I want the best possible outcomes for my patients. Right. Right. Yeah. So having said that, you travel all around the world and, you know, you see different techniques, you see different practitioners. So what would you say some of the differences are between aesthetics in LA, aesthetics in America, and, you know, comparatively to the rest of the world, including the UK? And You know what? I see so many different variations. And as an expert, you kind of have to, like, identify those to be able to deliver ex- excellent results to that community. So on this side of the country, I think that there's a desire for glamour and feminization mm-hmm. and to look spectacular, looking like the best version of yourself. Whereas maybe in New York City and you know in Boston, they're a bit more understated. They may be more sophisticated. They want undetectable kind of results. But you know, I did a show just now in West Palm Beach and they're the same as you. Yeah. They're the same as you. Exactly the same. And, you know, last week... I was, so in LA, you think people want a little bit more dramatic results? You know, you know what I would say is like, you know, it's a bit like fashion. Yep. When you buy a beautiful couture piece, do you want it to say here? Gucci? The designer. <laughs> I don't, usually. I don't. So you want it to say here. Right. And I think that the variations of, you know, to show... It's a bit like whether you wear it here mm-hmm. or whether you put it here. Okay. All right. Okay. Some places are more like Gucci on the front. Some Absolutely. places are more like Gucci Absolutely. in the back. Okay. All right. Cut it. So having said that, what is the biggest mistake? This is kind of a controversial question, but what is the biggest mistake that you have noticed injectors make, whether it's here or, you know, anywhere else? And I feel like, a lot of times, you know, I have my opinion too. And I feel like sometimes people see the, see, mm-hmm. you know, the bad results of aesthetics and then they freak out and they're shot. They're, they're scared to come in and, you yeah. know, get anything done just because of what they see out there. So what would you say the biggest and say, what would your plea be to all injectors in the world to yeah. stop doing? I keep doing it every day in every country and I plead them and I beg them to not put fillers in the subcutaneous tissue. Okay. And you know, when I was here in LA with you in July, you know, mm-hmm. I was watching you inject and, you know, you're a different kind of level because 
you're a structural injector. So you're making beauty, which is based on what, what a woman should have in terms of projection and structure, light and shade. What's happening more often than not, particularly I just came from the Middle East last week, I was in Dubai and Abu Dhabi and, and Kuwait, and they take a lot of fillers and put them with cannula in the subcutaneous level. And the what? minute you do that, mm-hmm. what happens is you end up with bulging. And you know this uh, in the press, they talk a lot about pillow face and about, you know, looking like uh, you're puffy. Yes. And that you are become full and heavy with fillers. Yes, I've seen that a lot. I believe, Rahi, it's a syndrome. (laughs) And it's a syndrome which is based on practitioners operating in a specific way. Yeah. And that's why when I saw you work, you work in a different way at a different level, and that's why your results are, they're more beautifying Thank because you. they're more structural. Yeah. So I think this is really the key. I think that uh, it's a, it's an education piece for the doctors, for the patients. Right. Because patients also need to start to become intolerant of anything less than perfect or optimal results. Right. Makes sense. That makes absolute sense. Okay, for sure. That's great. So what would you, for... People like, you know, just the general public, you know, they're like, maybe it's time for Botox. Maybe it's time for a little lip filler. At what age would you recommend people start considering it for themselves? Listen, I think, you know, the legal age, the legal age of doing this is like 16. In my country, it is. I don't know if there's a legal age. I think I personally wouldn't do it on under anyone, you know, less than 18. Can I ask you um, a question? Yes. So you're of uh, Iranian origin. Yes. Right? In Iran, if you take you know a 17-year-old uh, girl in Tehran, she'll have rhinoplasty. Probably. But that means that she has a structural issue, which has a cosmetic outcome, which makes the best of her. Right. Now, similarly, if you're born with a weak mandible, then surely you should be having chin injections to make you stronger and make your jawline more defined. Right. So there is no minimum age. Minimum age is based on law. So I would say from 18 plus, if daughter of a mother who I treat comes to me and well presented and says that they have a concern over maybe specific structural issues, I would treat them. Right, right. And I agree with that. I also agree with, you know, taking care of your skin from a young age. And I feel like parents should be teaching their children that just Mm. as a, you know, just as it's important to, you know, teach your kid to brush their teeth, you know, floss. Well, we have a new dynamic, don't we? We have a brand new dynamic of, you know, millennials and young people who are taking care of every aspect of their life, whether it be hair or skin or eyelashes or nails or you name it, Mm -hmm. makeup. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's a great area, by the way. So, you know, we should follow that trend. Surely means that we make the best of them. Right. As they age. Right. And by the way, the best doctors in this industry right now, they're going to pick up the young patients, they're going to educate them, and they will grow with them as a family. Yes. Means that they're going to be with you for the rest of your professional career if you treat them properly. Right. 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 That's great. So what do you think are some of the newest trends in aesthetics and where do you think aesthetics is heading? Well, I think the aesthetic field is so diverse right now. I mean, who only knows where we're going to end up. I think what's happening is there's a lot of fad and, and trend and fashion directions. I don't think necessarily they're for the best because they're largely led by commercial directives and investment and all the rest of it. But I had a very interesting conversation with one of my colleagues who's an aesthetic gynecologist. 
And he said, well, ultimately, you know, what you're trying to do here, Raj, is you're trying to make the best of women in terms of their, the best version of themselves, their connectivity. But also men. Yeah, well, both, of course. Their connectivity, their relationships, and also, you know, their success, whether it be in love and work and life, and you name it. And he said to me that maybe we're going to be moving downstairs. Downstairs so, to? To maybe I might be the master right now of facial aesthetics, but he is the master of, of gynecological aesthetics. So maybe that's the <laughs> so future. Aesthetics Who is knows? moving from the face to the vagina. Yeah. And I agree. And I, I think noticed it's just that you're important. doing that. And, and I think that you're probably ahead of the game. I think so. I think, yeah. I mean, I think it's the whole body, total body mm. rejuvenation. <laughs> and I agree with that. So a few more questions. Yeah. If someone wanted to consider aesthetics and they couldn't necessarily get a hold of you because you're, I feel like, in a different country every day, how would they find the right injector for themselves? I think you got to go by word of mouth. Word because of mouth. too many people are being guided by marketing and social media and, you know, things like you're uh, right. and PR. And often those are the people who they don't have patients, so they have to hire patients, right? Right. We see all the time in the UK and around the rest of the world but the people that are really successful, they're the ones that already have a massive market, right? Right. So it's self-perpetuating. If you're big, you're big, and you keep getting bigger because right. you're good at what you do. Great. Right. One last question, mm-hmm. not related to aesthetics, but you travel so much. How do you keep yourself healthy and sane with all the airplane flights? Because I used to travel a lot, and I mean, I still do, but probably not as much as you. How do you keep that balance? I travel. <laughs> I travel like every day. Every day. Every day. And yesterday I traveled through a hurricane in Houston, Texas. And it took me about eight hours to get from there to here. So there is no sanity in that. It's simply a case of loving what you do. Loving what you do. And making sure that when you are turning up for a show, for a work, that you're delivering out of your skin. Yeah. That's great. There's only so many vitamins and mushrooms and water you can take. (laughs) Uh, that's true following your passion ultimately when you love what you're doing then yeah uh, then you'll be then you'll keep it then you'll keep it together so a really important question is there are a lot of people who want to save money and end up going to injectors that aren't even licensed or sure. you know there's a trend of people buying their own materials online tell me what you think of that there are two answers to that question one is a consumer perspective As a consumer, you kind of select the level at which you want to operate. So either you want to eat in a Michelin-star restaurant or you want to eat in McDonald's. But lots of different consumers, they want to eat in the middle-class restaurants. And that's fine, okay? But as a doctor who is providing what should be the best possible care for a patient, you should really be providing the best possible service now. Listen, Ryan, what I've noticed around the world, you will end up with the practice that you deserve. And it's based on the decisions that you make. Do you want to buy the best possible products to serve in your Michelin star restaurant? Or do you want to buy cheap products to serve in McDonald's or a fast food store? And ultimately, you will attract the consumers who want to be with you. Right. So I think that's really where we're at right now right and i know that you are a high level operator so of course you you operate the same way that i do and i think there's a lot of doctors that don't share the same kind of sentiment right 
Great. So you do travel a lot, yet you have this, you have flawless skin, great complexion. Tell us some of your secrets on how, because traveling is awful for your skin. Everyone knows that. So tell us some of your secrets, your daily skincare routine, how you take care of your skin. You know what? I would love to say that I'm like in the gym, like, you know, four (laughs) hours a day and I use, you know, all these uh, cosmeceuticals and I'm taking you know, high fluid intake and I cut down on alcohol, etc. The bottom line is, you know, when you're loving what you're doing, you have an aura from inside, which is like a fire which burns. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you are lucky enough to do what you love, I think that there's a, you know what it is, a constitution? Mm-hmm. I understand. From one's yeah. own self, which right. I think, which is self And it exudes. Yeah. I think that's the thing. So, sorry, but there's no secret. There's no secret. <laughs> yeah, You're sorry. just naturally beautiful and you uh, love what you do. Not necessarily. <laughs> Thank you so much you, for, you know, coming here. I know you're so busy and <clears throat> I really appreciate it. I hope, you know, that this information can help a lot of people because I think these are questions that people have, especially from someone with such a global perspective. Thank you. So thank you for coming and I'll see you soon. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. So if you like what you heard and you're motivated to live the best you, please subscribe to the podcast.